Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. This week, I'm speaking with someone that I feel like has lived out a dream that, you know, a lot of us have had. I think a lot of us think, you know, I would love to end world hunger. I would love to save the rainforest or stop wars. All these really, really, you know, huge goals, huge things. And, and obviously, all of those would be extremely hard to, to truly accomplish. But working every day towards that is exactly what uh, Danny Blue is doing. You know, all of those are a lifetime's work, so it's not its not that he's doing all of them. The one that he is focusing on here, um, for the most part, is saving the rainforest. We'll get to a little bit of how ending world hunger is something kind of there, too. Um, but it was just a really fascinating conversation. I spoke with, uh, like I said, Danny Blue, who is the founder of OMA, which stands for One Million Acres. Essentially, it is a company who builds bracelets um, that uh, are crafted by artisans in the rainforest in Ecuador and Brazil and and a lot of of different places in South America. And the goal is to sell these and buy acres of the rainforest and protect them from farming or chopping them down for for lumber and uh, livestock grazing, all these different things that are, are really impacting the rainforest. So we're going to talk about the company and why he went from making quite a bit of money in telecommunications to going and and uh, basically being a a uh, servant to uh, to the rainforest and and helping uh, the greater good. We're going to talk a lot about the company as a whole and exactly how he came up with the idea. Uh, we're going to talk about the importance of the rainforest and why we all should really care about uh, you know its its survival. Of course, how to get those bracelets. A lot of really really fascinating things um, you know about the the company as a whole and then about the the rainforest too. I think you'll be surprised. Uh, th- these bracelets, you know, you the, everyone's selling a bracelet these days. These are, are, are quite a bit different between you know hiring local artisans to create them um having zero zero things in the packaging the bracelet the shipping anything that is is uh creating any kind of carbon it's completely carbon neutral it's actually um the kind of the more than carbon neutral it's actually not just offsetting but it's actually doing a lot more than just that we'll talk about that um just a, a fascinating story on how uh, how Danny Blue became uh, exactly what he is today, which is is someone who is making a, a lot of impact um, for all of us. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Danny Blue. I am here today with Danny Blue. Danny, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. So, you, I mean, you're we're kind of going to get right into it. You you're doing some really amazing things uh, with your organization, but I wanna I wanna kind of ask. I, I know that it stands for one million acres, but how do you? But you shortened it. Do you just still say OMA or is it OMA or what? Are, yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, <laughs> good question. Um, so it is. It's, it is pronounced OMA. Uh, OMA does stand for one million acres. Is kind of the acronym, but 
Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I guess as I continue to grow and build the brand, if it becomes more and more problematic for people to know what to call it, I may have to do some reconsidering because I do get asked that a lot. But yeah, it's either Oma or One Million Acres. Well, I mean, in a lot of, I guess, languages and stuff, Oma can mean like grandma. So I feel like it, it, it kind of works even with that context. So I kind of like it. It's funny that you say that because that is actually an intentional part of why it is called Oma. So, you know, knowing that Oma stands for grandmother or means grandmother in multiple languages, you know, really speaks to what it is that we're doing, you know, protecting Mother Earth and, you know, uh, the, the, the grandmother energy in a lot of these indigenous communities is really something that is um, kind of core in, in what we're doing to, um, you know, bring to light a lot of uh, the wisdom of the indigenous communities that we support. So absolutely. Yeah. And I want to get into to the mission of, of OMA here in just a second, but let's just hear a little bit more about, uh, about Danny Blue. Tell us just a little bit about you um, outside of uh, the organization. So outside of OMA, which has really <laughs> taken on a, a large part of my identity, as I'm sure anybody that's an entrepreneur will kind of understand, um, I am a father of six-year-old twins, which is um, my, my, my greatest role. Uh, they are my greatest teachers. And again, anyone that has kids will know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm a pretty avid environmentalist, outdoor nature lover, animal lover. So that these, those things all kind of play into how I got into wanting to start something to, you know, help protect the, the planet and the rainforest specifically. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I spent the better part of, you know, my adult career uh, in the corporate world, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles now, or really Orange County, Southern California, I grew up in Georgia, though, uh, and, and came out here about 20 years ago. So I've been in Southern California for about 20 years. And, you know, I bounced around quite a bit when I first got out here trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do, and then kind of landed in, in the corporate world, was doing the corporate grind for good, you know, seven years really the majority of which I spent uh, working in, in sales and like the telecom industry. And, you know, I, I, I found a lot of success in those roles, especially, you know, the, the one near the, towards the end of my time in corporate America, you know, I was doing really well, making a lot of money, um, you know, finding a, a good bit of, of just professional success, but I just wasn't, um, I wasn't fulfilled. There was something that I, wasn't sure what it was specifically uh, that was calling me in a different direction. I kind of took the leap of faith at the end of my um, corporate path, which was really strange because at the time I was, you know, making more money than I ever had. I had worked myself into a position where I didn't actually even have to do that much to, to bring in this money because, you know, I had all these residual commissions coming in from accounts that I had built um, but anyway, you know, like I said, there was just a calling. And um, I think a lot of times on the entrepreneurial journey, a lot of people talk about just kind of knowing, you know, they know what they're, they were meant to do, and they, they leave the, the safety and security of whatever job they were at, and they go do it. 
And for me, it didn't really work out that way. I didn't know what it was I was meant to do. I just knew that I wasn't fulfilled in the role that I was in. And so I kind of took the leap and, and fumbled around for a few years as I was trying to figure out, you know, what was the reason I, I, I left the security and safety of this really well-paying job. And um, yeah, it's kind of been a, an evolution of, of figuring out uh, what that looks like, you know, since then. I mean, there, there's obviously a, a big, uh, a big difference, a big leap from working in telecommunications and in sales and then doing, you know, what, what you do now um, with, with OMOS. So it kind of, I guess, explain that journey. I know that you said that it took a few years to find it, but I, I guess really, how did you find even the need? Yeah, I think so. The, the, the way that it really kind of unfolded was at whatever point, I think a couple of years after leaving that job and, you know, bouncing around a couple others, I decided I really wanted to do something for myself. And at that point, the, the things that really spoke to me and really resonated with what I was just passionate about were both health and wellness, you know, starting to eat healthier and see the benefits of living a healthy life over and beyond what I used to and uh, just nature in the outdoors. And so there was an opportunity at that time for me to uh, open a, a fast casual, a healthy fast casual restaurant franchise. So there was a franchise that um, is based in Canada. Um, it had a you know, really interesting model of, of making, you know, healthy food accessible, kind of like a Chipotle, but for like salads and wraps and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I thought that was what I really wanted to do because I was really passionate. I really thought there was a, um, a gap in the market, especially in the area that I lived in, uh, where, where people could find healthy food easily. And so I, I proceeded to open this restaurant. Literally, we opened the restaurant. Um, we opened the doors to the restaurant one month before my twins came or was it the month the twins came first i can't remember but there was a month difference between when i opened the doors to the restaurant and when i had my twins so that first year was like it's pretty much erased from my memory like i have no recollection of that year spent you know opening and, and running this restaurant 24 7 with newborns at home um, but at the end of the day you know that ultimately became such a grind that I realized that that wasn't what I was, what was really passionate about. Um, so fortunately I was able to sell the restaurant and kind of take a passion of mine that I did have at the time, which was, I was supporting an organization called Rainforest Trust and they are a charity um, that um, they're one of the really the, the leading organizations that are working to protect these tropical ecosystems all over the world. And I was, I was supporting them on a, on a personal level, right? Like I had seen a bunch of documentaries and I think I remember growing up as a kid hearing, you know, you hear about deforestation in the rainforest and you're like, no, you know, the, the monkey's homes is getting destroyed and it, you know, you, 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 you get upset about it, but it doesn't really translate into something that is, is super important for where we are. You know, there's an out of sight, out of mind kind of, um, connection to the rainforest for a lot of people because we don't live in close proximity to them not realizing that it's a really foundational ecosystem 
um, as a part of the collective whole of our, of our, you know, the global ecosystem of our planet. Um, so I started seeing documentaries that really highlight, you know, how important these rainforests are and what's actually happening down there around the destruction and the exploitation. And that really got me, I think, inspired to want to just help in some way. So I became a personal, regular monthly donor to this organization that was doing the good work. And somewhere along the lines, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit kicked in and I was like, well, seeing how this organization is able to purchase and protect an entire acre of rainforest in a lot of these areas, I mean, it fluctuates the cost depending on the areas and it can fluctuate pretty significantly. But on average on the low end, you know, they can purchase and protect an acre of rainforest for as little as a couple dollars. Um, and that's when the light bulb kind of went off and I was like, well, you know, these, all these companies that have built one for one give back social enterprises that are like, you know, buy like Tom's shoes, buy a pair of shoes, we'll donate a pair. Um, I'm like $2 to save an acre of rainforest or roughly that, you know, if you could have saving an acre of rainforest be the give back, that would be amazing. So like that was the, the spark. Right. I didn't know what the product was. I didn't know what the vehicle for this was. I just knew that as much as people, you know, complain and gripe about capitalism and consumerism and all the things about that's what's causing the destruction of the planet. The reality is that's it's this is how humans are programmed. And yes, I do think that there's a conversation that needs to happen around overconsumption because it's a big part of the problem. Um, but to try and just eradicate um, all the problems by saying everybody stop consuming, not going to happen anytime soon. So instead, what I'm thinking is how do we instead take human behavior, the psychology of humans to want to consume and purchase things, and instead funnel that into an area where the resources from the, those, uh, those contributions can actually be going towards helping instead of destroying the planet. And so, yeah, that was like the initial spark. I was kind of like, okay, I, I'm, I want to build something that is a one for one, buy one, save an acre. And um, yeah, it, it wasn't always what it is now. Like when I first started this, there was a different name for the company. There was different products. I was kind of selling things that were more geared towards the yoga industry. And then it was really after I had an opportunity to go down to Peru and Ecuador and connect in with these indigenous communities that live there and really learn more about the plight of the indigenous communities and how they're being exploited by these extractive industries that are coming in and you know destroying the rainforest and sucking out oil and, and mining for gold and all the things you know while these indigenous communities get nothing and learning that a lot of that is just because it's just there's just a lack of opportunities for the indigenous tribes to earn a living themselves. So a lot of times they're just having to accept these payments from these companies, or even a lot of times, very strangely and ironically, some of them will go work for some of these companies, not because they want to, but there's not, nothing else that they have uh, to support themselves. Um, so that's when I was like, okay, how do we, how do we create something that can give the power back to the indigenous communities, give them an opportunity to, you know, utilize their, their, 
their native skills um, to earn a living while at the same time helping to fund the protection of the same areas that they live in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you, you know, you, you briefly mentioned it, um, but just the, the impact of, of the rainforest, um, you know, on, on the whole globe, because it is right out of sight, out of mind. A lot of people think that. Um, but I know, you know, back when last year or the year before, when all the, the huge fires in, in Brazil, we were, you know, learning about just the in, how big the impact of the rainforest is on the whole world. So can you kind of speak just a little bit about why, you know, regardless of whether we think it affects us, that it really does? Yeah, so I mean, the Amazon rainforest alone is, and there's many different uh, studies and statistics that have been quoted on on the different metrics here, and they fluctuated, you know, over time. But for the uh, roughly speaking, that the Amazon rainforest alone is responsible for generating twenty percent of the oxygen of the Earth. Um, as well as uh, being home to 20% of, uh, the fr- of the fresh water, our fresh water supply. A lot of people will argue a lot of times about the oxygen uh, statistic because it is true that the Amazon, that the amount of oxygen that the Amazon produces is a lot of, the majority of it is actually consumed right back into the ecosystem of the rainforest. Mm-hmm. But the rainforest in its healthy state in which it is producing enough oxygen so that it can self-sustain is helping to regulate the, um, our, our global weather, you know, um, within, uh, within the ecosystem itself, you know, it is, yeah, it's regulating our, our, the the rain patterns and our global weather patterns. Um, 25% of roughly 25% of our modern, of the ingredients in our modern medicines, Um, are sourced from rainforest plants. So when you think about it, I mean, and and, I mean, just countless amounts of of, um, various different types of foods and and plants that that come into play for our, you know, global food system as well, um, let alone the staggering number of species and animals that call the rainforest home um, that are, you know, being wiped out and are going extinct every day, uh, due to the exploitation of the areas. Um, but it was kind of to touch on just a second ago about the, the, the medicine part of it, right? Like it's, it's insane when you think about the fact that there is this treasure trove of medicine basically that exists that if we are able to, uh, respect and appreciate and work to protect this ecosystem for what it represents. If for nothing else, it's benefit to our own health and well-being. Um, it seemed like a pretty easy decision to make, but, you know, we're not only are we uh, not appreciating what the value of these lands are, but we're literally just wiping them out without even realizing it by uh, a lot of a lot of which is by the decisions we make to support the various different industries that we support. Um, one of the main ones being animal agriculture. You know, a uh, 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 large part of deforestation in the rainforest is caused by um, by the animal agriculture beef uh, production industry in countries like Brazil. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, 
it's it's truly one of the most you know important ecosystems we have. The, the sheer amount of carbon that it helps store from the atmosphere as well. A lot of things people a lot of times people don't realize. You know, these trees are these ecosystems are carbon sinks. These trees are storing carbon, you know, within their within the roots and in the soil. And so when these trees are cut down, we're not only losing, you know, an oxygen producing carbon capturing machine, but that carbon that was previously stored by those trees is then released back into the atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a ton of 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 reasons why we should be working to protect these ecosystems instead of destroying them. Yeah, no, for sure. So tell us just a little bit about, you know, based off of, you know, the, you're telling us kind of the issue, but tell us what uh, 1 million acres is, is doing um, to, to help with that. I know that you're, you know, you're, you talked about, you know, saving an acre at a time. Um, so exactly how are you doing that through, through OMA? Yeah. So, the way that our business model works is we we basically we sell bracelets, right? Our bracelets are handmade by indigenous artisans um, in the Ecuadorian Amazon, and the the just the part of our initiative where we're em, em, employing and empowering these indigenous communities with fair trade, reliable work that in itself is already creating a pretty significant ripple effect in the ability to, to protect uh, these lands just by, just by getting indigenous communities working and, and supporting themselves. Because a lot of times, you know, what, what you'll find is that, like I said before, a lot of times these indigenous communities will resort to resource extraction themselves. So a lot of the, sometimes the illegal logging that's happening out there is done by indigenous people that are just looking for ways to, to pay their bills, put food on their table. Um, so by creating these, um, these economic opportunities, we're, we're, we're kind of, um, we're, we're stopping the bleeding, if you will, a little bit on the, on that side of, of the conversation. Um, the, the part that's really much more significant though, is really, the lands that are being kind of um, that are being uh, sequestered by these large extractive oil and logging industries um, because they have money, and so what we do, the how we're how we're saving an acre with every bracelet sold is the organization that we support is called Rainforest Trust, and the way that they work is you know they will come in and they'll be like let's say there's a five million acre plot of land that they are, you know, that has been designated off and uh, auctioned off, is being auctioned off for purchase um, by the local governments. And, you know, so Rainforest Trust will come in and raise the necessary funds to purchase that entire uh, plot of land. And when we say purchase, it's not, it's not being purchased and owned by Rainforest Trust, the organization. It's actually titled to the local communities um, with part of the funds that were raised actually being uh, designated towards, you know, educating and empowering the locals on, on how to make sure that these lands stay protected. Um, you know, people will always ask, well, how can you be sure that these lands aren't gonna get destroyed? And the, the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, there's no way to guarantee that. I mean, there's always gonna be illegal 
um, logging. There's always going to be illegal activities that are going on um, in this area. But, but this the Rainforest Trust has one of the most effective models um, that has such a like a, a comprehensive take on conservation that involves you know first get taking the land and designating it as a protected area and then having people that are um, employed to protect it on a daily basis. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. We're basically just supporting Rainforest Trust by donating a portion of the proceeds from the sale of every bracelet to the, the campaigns that they're working on. Right. And I, I assume some of the, well, I, I would more than assume, I, I'm sure that some of the other um, you know, costs of the bracelet are going towards you know, that, those local economies and those artists, correct? 100%. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the materials that we, uh, all of the materials that we use in our bracelet are uh, locally and sustainably sourced. I think one of the, if we're just talking about the product itself, you know, over and beyond just the, the impact and the contribution, the, the kind of the value proposition or the, the unique uh, element of the bracelet itself over and beyond what's out there is that traditional bracelets are usually made with nylon string and nylon is plastic. Um, and, you know, even if companies, you know, use their, their fancy, you know, sustainable terms and, you know, greenwashing is all over the place. But so if, so if plastic, if the plastic nylon string is recycled, that makes you feel good inside because it's recycled string. But the reality is you're still wearing a bracelet that has nylon string, which is made from plastic, which at some point is going to go back into, you know, into the, the, the cycle of needing to end up in a landfill, at which point it's, it was recycled at one point, but it's still plastic. So our, the two materials we use in our bracelet are both um, organic materials that are sourced from the rainforest. The strings are made from a leaf called chambira and the beads are made from a nut called tagua. And so the entire bracelet is biodegradable. Um, the materials are sourced locally. So those, those materials are also creating more economic opportunities for the locals, um, you know, to source the materials themselves. The artisans, you know, are, are making money. Uh, with the labor of putting the bracelets together. So it's kind of like a full, full circle, um, like a closed loop system of really supporting um, the, the locals in the entire mission um, from, from every point of the process. Yeah. And your, and your website uh, states that, I guess, through, through the bracelets and, and other things you're doing, that you've been able to protect over 15,000 acres. So that's really, really cool. Do you know um, outside of, of just OMA how much, uh, how many acres the, the Rainforest Trust has, has been able to protect? That's a good question. I want to say it's something like uh, 14 million acres in the time since they've, uh, since the time that they've existed. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's, it's in the millions of acres. I, I want to say it's 14 million, but um, they've, done, they've done quite a bit. Yeah, and but but you're saying that that they've been uh, relatively successful in making sure that it is protected because that is, I guess, based on what you were saying, rather than you know keep it in a in a trust to to give it you know to someone there. I mean, obviously, you you talked about um, you know people 
struggling. And when people struggle, even though something was, you know, handed back, I do worry that they would still maybe use it. Yeah. Um, I, the statistic on that, I want to say is um, something like 90, 90 something percent of all of the areas to date that Rainforest Trust has purchased and protected are still under, um, you know, under these protective, protected measures. Um, and, you know, when you hear that number, you kind of think, oh, well, what about the 6% that isn't? But it, it's significant. Like, you know, the, the, the majority of the land um, that they have worked to, to do this, uh, to do this work in, um, you know, after years of protections are still remain in, uh, in these same conditions. So it's pretty significant. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not directly affiliated with Rainforest Trust, although we're fairly close being that we're, you know, director level sponsor of them. Um, but, um, the, the specific nature of, you know, how those measures work best or what maybe some of the areas where they've seen it doesn't work or, or things don't go right. Um, I'd probably need to, you know, see that they could probably address those a little bit better than I could. Right. No, for sure. So let's, let's go back to, to 1 million acres and something that I, I got from your website. So tell us just a little bit more about um, the, the three tiered approach of mm-hmm. conservation reforestation and the indigenous empowerment. Yeah. So essentially the way that uh, our, our give back model works is that we, we not only support rainforest trust with uh, donations that allow us to fund the protection of an acre of rainforest. We also support an organization called one tree planted so that we're planting a tree as well. The idea behind this is that there's tons of companies out there now that are supporting companies that plant a tree, right? I mean, like you probably will notice on lots of even just mass market consumer packaged goods that a lot of people, you know, are saying this, the purchase of this product plants a tree through. Um, and it's amazing. I think that if every single organization took it upon themselves to support these types of initiatives, we'd be in a much better place. Our mission, the reason why I started this, started OMA, is because the rainforest is under a major threat right now of just being destroyed, you know, at an extremely rapid rate. I think the current statistic is something like five football fields a minute, um, which is is insane. And so I founded this company really um, with the main intention of, of conservation being the, the, the main goal of what, what it is we're trying to do. We, need, we, we have to protect the land that we do have still as soon as possible before we can just think that, you know, we can replant our way out of the mess that we're in. Reforestation is huge. I mean, once lands have been destroyed, you know, yes, it, it will take a long time for them to regenerate. They can with proper, you know, with enough time and, and support. But we can't just, you know, replant our way out of all this. So the idea is by utilizing a, this three-tiered approach, which involves conservation. So we're saving an acre of land. 
reforestation, we're planting a tree in areas that have already been impacted, and indigenous empowerment, we're empowering the indigenous communities that are under the threat of exploitation. And in doing so, we're able to create a massive amount of impact with very little. And it's really like a full comprehensive holistic approach where we're, you know, we're, we're, we're securing land to put it under protection. We're helping to restore areas that have already been affected. And then we're, you know, we're giving the power back to these communities to allow them to do what they do best as the true stewards of these lands. Yeah. So tell us, you, know, you already kind of mentioned that, you know, the, the non-nylon and, and then the components, but tell us just a little bit more uh, about the, the bracelet and, you know, the entire eco-friendliness of it. I read that it even has a, a plantable package. So, yeah. So in, in really trying to stick to our core ethos of, you know, trying to, to be as environmentally friendly and, um, and earth forward as we can, um, you know, we developed a packaging for the bracelet as well. It's a zero waste plantable packaging. So the bracelet itself is already 100% organic, sustainable, um, eco-friendly, biodegradable. The pack, the bracelet then comes on a, this little paper packaging. The paper is made from a, a biodegradable seed paper, uh, which allows you to, so you can plant it. It's, it's embedded, the paper is embedded with uh, wildflower seeds, and it's a non-invasive blend of wildflower seeds for for you know those out there that that know the potential issues of planting you know invasive species in, in certain areas. So it's a non-invasive blend of wildflowers. And so the idea is you get your bracelet, you take your packaging, there's even a little place you can write your own intention on or a little vision or dream of yours on the packaging and kind of plant the packaging with that written on it let that grow through the flowers and really kind of connect into the energy of, you know, being connected into the, the whole mission of what it is that we're doing, uh, reconnecting back to nature. And, um, and yeah, you know, we, we use a eco-friendly uh, recycled paper mailer to ship all our bracelets out. We, we've partnered with this organization called um, Sendal, which is a carbon offset shipping provider, um, which, you know, our bracelets in the, in itself are already carbon offset being that, you know, the impact of the saving an acre and, and, uh, planting a tree, but the fact that we're offsetting our shipping as well through the provider may, just makes it one, one step better because at the, I wouldn't want to have this be something where it's like the, the, the impact of getting the bracelet shipped to you is offset by the work that we're doing, essentially neutralizing everything. And then it's, you know, it's just level, you know, the whole point is that the impact is actually having a positive net impact on the planet, um, which, you know, utilizing the, this uh, carbon neutral shipping service allows us to truly do that. So you've mentioned kind of that, that 1 million acres has, has went through a, a couple of different phases. So, um, I mean, obviously you guys are doing really amazing things now, but, but what do you, what do you think the future holds for, for Omar? That's a good question. I ask myself that every day and, uh, you know, my, my vision for the company as we're, you know, continue to grow and scale and, you know, especially nowadays with, with COVID and everything happening. I mean, everything is so 
it's so up in the air and it's just so hard to know. Um, you know, I literally just talked to my guy down in Ecuador. He's one he's really helping me kind of project manage a lot of the things since I have to do everything virtually. So a lot of, a lot of things to consider. Um, but within that, the goal is to really expand this, um, the, the, the impact that we are working to create globally. So my vision for this involves uh, getting to expand our network of indigenous artisans uh, into other countries, into other continents, and within those different uh, new lines of bracelets that will be you know, more, more uh, aesthetically designed around the particular cultures that are, that are working with them. Um, and, and then and, and the give back supporting initiatives that are more local to those areas. Um, you know, the, the, again, the big picture vision is a global network of artisans empowered to, you know, sell their artisanal uh, jewelry um, and those uh, purchases going towards various different conservation um, campaigns all over the world. And even, and I say all over the world, that even coming back to the States, you know, there's plenty of indigenous tribes and communities here, and there's plenty of lands, you know, here in the United States um, that are under the threat of exploitation and uh, in need of conservation efforts as well. So, you know, I would love for this to become, you know, really a, a global brand where uh, empowering of indigenous communities and conservation is essentially what we do across the board. So how did you, I mean, I asked one question to get to another one. Do you, how, how involved were you, I guess, on the, the ground um, to, to set this up? Were you in Ecuador and, and, and everything? I was in Ecuador. Yeah. Like I said, it was kind of my, during my travels there where I, I, I first witnessed what was going on in those communities and seeing, you know, the big pivotal moment for me was driving into, <clears throat> into the jungle go stay with uh, one of the local tribes called the Warani tribe, who are a big part of what we're doing. And seeing all of these oil pipes just lining the sides of these dirt roads all the way into the jungle. And, you know, it's a pretty polarizing thing to see when you're in the jungle, you know, maybe not when you're out in some, you know, area where these industrial industries are expected, but in the like most pristine biodiverse ecosystem on the planet to see just like miles and miles of pipes. And then you get there and you get to the village and there's this massive facility, I guess you call it just this big fenced in area with this machine sucking oil out of the ground, like a, one football field away from a remote indigenous village. It's like, it's like the twilight zone. It's like, how is this possible? Like I'm in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. What is this thing? Why is this here? So that was my like on the ground kind of wake up call, I guess, if you will, that had me um, inspired to want to do something. And then since then, yeah, I've been uh, working directly with the artisans, you know, working on the materials and the designs. And unfortunately for the past year or so, just coming on a year, um, I've had to pretty much manage everything virtually. You know, based on, on your explanation there, that's that's kind of perfect for for the question that I have where how did you get the the buy-in from from the indigenous people? Because I've heard, you know, from other people that are 
it's kind of an odd dynamic where, you know, other people are realizing issues sometimes in, in parts of the world, but the locals, you know, they're in such, I guess, survival mode that sometimes they don't necessarily care as much about protecting, you know, the land or the resource or the animals or whatever it is uh, as others do. Did you find that the case here or are they as, as bought in on trying to protect the rainforest as, as maybe? Oh no, they're, they are extremely, I mean, there's part, there's some parts of the specific tribe that we're working with that are extremely active in, um, in protesting and going to the government and demanding, you know, change. There was a, a big monumental case that was actually won last year in Ecuador, where the, one of the indigenous um, communities won this landmark case to help protect, you know, half a million acres of rainforest that previously was under the threat of exploitation from some of these bigger companies. So they are definitely invested in the the protection of these lands maybe on a smaller scale like if if people might be referring to like you know they don't have a problem you know hunting and killing animals um you know for food or cutting trees down to help sustain themselves but that's more on like a very symbiotic relationship right On on a larger scale they are they are concerned but I think that uh, even to that point, though, I think that the, the buy-in for, for what I'm doing right now with, with the artisans and the bracelets is less about like, I think that I don't know if they care as much about the fact that I'm donating a portion of the proceeds to organizations that are helping to protect the rainforest. I mean, that certainly, I'm sure, lights up their spirit and makes them happy to, to, to do this work and be a part of this. But for the most part, it's really more about being given an opportunity to to earn a living you know so if there was if this was nothing else other than you know we sell bracelets that help artisans rise out of poverty um they would they would be all about it absolutely that's and that's i think the really the really special thing about uh oma is that it has all those areas there's not really from what i can hear there's not really an area that isn't isn't beneficial um, you know, for, for something. So I really like to like to, well, it's that. funny. Cause that, that as much as it's a, a plus a positive, it's also been kind of my biggest challenge as I've been out there spreading the gospel and, you know, marketing and then letting people know through ads and whatever it is, what it is that we do, like, what is, which, which angle is the message that people resonate with? Is it that we have a completely eco-friendly biodegradable bracelet unlike anything out there that's not impacting the earth in a negative way is it that we're empowering indigenous communities to rise out of poverty is it that we're protecting the earth by saving the rainforest is it that we're reforcing so it's almost like there yes we're doing a lot of good and so i'm still trying to figure out you know what is the 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 leading message because i don't think one is more important than other i think that the thing that really f- fires me up the most over anything is is creating these opportunities for the indigenous communities because I think within that, um, and we if we can really truly build that out and expand it, all the other stuff is going to fall into place. And you know, I think it's going to give us an opportunity to have a platform to talk about it more and hopefully bring up conversations that can institute you know, institutional change on a, on a larger scale to, for governments to come in and really like, 
you know, put measures into place to, to do this work uh, at a higher level. To me, I feel like the, exactly what you're saying, you know, the, the empowerment of, of indigenous people is probably the part that makes it the most unique is you're right. You see people all the time, this buy this bracelet and it helps plant a tree or do this or do that. And it helps save the rainforest. We're kind of almost, uh, I don't know, just jaded to that because we hear so much, but you don't hear it as much, you know, the, the actual um, employment of, of, of the, the culture. So that, that's what yeah. I think. But Yeah, I agree. So tell us uh, how we can, we can find uh, Oma, how we can find uh, the bracelet and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, so our website is uh, just omaearth, O-M-A, earth.com, and um, kind of very intentionally chose that to encompass all of our, you know, all of our channels. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram uh, at omaearth as well. And um, yeah, that's... um, those are those are the main platforms you know you can follow along the journey on instagram is where we're the most active uh website take a look at the different products that we sell over the holidays last year you know kind of launched a a small additional line of uh some additional accessories that people were asking for um you know like uh sustainable bamboo water bottle and uh, a couple pieces of apparel just to help you know uh, support the initiative in, in a little bit more of a way, but for the most part, the bracelets are really the foundation and that's where we're kind of pushing and, and, and expanding, um, on as we continue to develop new products, you know, moving forward. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you're doing amazing things. You already know that though. Uh, but it's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Likewise. Really appreciate the time. Absolutely. And that was my interview with Danny Blue. Hope you enjoyed that one. Just an amazing, amazing guy. Uh, like you know, like I said in the very beginning, we all have these huge dreams of doing some some really powerful things, and and just hearing the story that I think that a lot of us can relate to. That uh, he just decided, you know, I have a greater calling than than what I'm doing now, and and I want to I want to make a difference. And he certainly is, and I I know that. Uh, Oma and whatever he does is is really going to uh, to be really beneficial. So I look forward to seeing what the future holds for for him and for uh, Oma as a whole. If it is something you're interested in, the bracelets they are really cool. Um, and and obviously we we talked a lot about exactly how beneficial they are to to the world. So do check those out at omaearth.com. Omaearth.com. Pick one of those up. I don't know that we we covered the exact cost. Can't remember at this point, but they were $25, which uh, is a a pretty small price to pay for a a handcrafted, um, you know, jewelry. So thanks for being here. I want to thank Danny Blue again for being here. Appreciate his time. Appreciate you listening. Check us out as well. You know, like like we say every week, Check out other podcast uh, episodes if you haven't. Always, always great guests. But uh, other than that, Instagram, Not in the Huff Podcast. Facebook, uh, Not in the Huff with Jackson Huff, jacksonhuff.com. Always appreciate your support. 
and uh, and your support of our, our guests too. That's that's not something I always say, but really appreciate those uh, who support the guests, whether it's buying the books, buying the bracelets, just going and checking them out and giving them a follow. Really, really proud and appreciative of our, of our community here. So without, uh, without saying uh, much more, we'll see you next week and uh, take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.